0: The following podcast contains some strong language and some very average opinions. Any references to actual people are wildly inaccurate. It's probably best if you don't listen at all. The Roaring Peacock Podcast. Welcome back to the Roaring Peacock Podcast. This is the New Year special review and we will be talking about the the previous season in part 1 and the premier league season in part 2 uh we're also joined by the uh magnanimous is that the right word it's probably i'm trying to make a complimentary word i'm fishing in my yeah, that's in that'll my do place.
1: that'll do i try to be
0: magnanimous
1: every time i lose <laughs> just fishing often... in my
0: brain for a big word that sounds that sounds good yeah that'll go. do
1: yeah. that'll do yeah sounds convincing <laughs>
0: Um, uh, Ross Bell, our man on the post Hello And Alex, our riot badger Good afternoon, everyone And my name's Adonis And the year began how it ended With a trip to West Brom and a West Brom own goal Amid a terrible run of form that could be traced back to Unexplainable 60th minute collapse against Cardiff On the 14th of December 2019 By the time Forest came around The Whites had lost 5, drawn 3 in the previous 10 games With automatic promotion seemingly slipping from our grasp once again. Luke Ayling's post-Forest interview screamed of pain and anger. Bielsa broke with his tradition of not speaking to the players immediately after the game, giving an impassioned speech. It worked. United would only suffer one loss in the remaining 15 to be promoted as champions. Off the pitch, the club dipped into the market in January, bringing in Elias Capril, Ian Povedo Ocampo and Big Kev, the man we were sold as the next Mbappé, turned out to be closer to a 50-year-old Pierre-Michel Lasoga. While a season like no other was suspended due to COVID, it could not have come at a worse time off the back of five wins on the bounce conspiracies were in bloom in spring, none more so than that the latest EFL ruse to keep Leeds from getting promoted seemed elaborate to say the least (laughs) <laughs> While we played indoor football with endless toilet rolls and watched Jack Harrison's indoor workout videos, there were fears of PPG settling the season. And when Project Restart did get things moving, we'd spent so much time indoors we'd become cardboard, as 15,000 cardboard cutouts applauded Alyoski off the pitch. But the moment that brought grown men to tears was Swansea away as Pablo slid in an 89th-minute winner, all but sealing a return to the Premier League after 16 years controversial static bus parade you could only sh- slightly take the shine off many fans' first memories of Leeds United lifting a trophy. Uh, in a tragic year for many reasons, we lost Norman Hunter, Trevor Cherry, Jack Charlton, Alex Sibella, and Marius Eliukas. In non-Leeds-related news, the happiest of years began with Australia burning to the ground. One billion animals dead while Trump played with drones, almost causing World War III. Meanwhile, in Wuhan, a Chinaman ate a pangolin, and a new virus spread across the world, while the British Prime Minister missed five Cobra meetings to sort out his divorce. Britain formally left the EU, um, while the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd sparked near civil war across the pond and led to Black Lives Matter movement. Far too much more happened in this year, but needless to say... Murder Hornets, Enormous Locust Swarms, Toilet Roll Riots, The Year of the Karen, Coffin Dance Meme, Chadwick Boseman, and too many others lost their lives. Amid the worst year in living memory.
1: So. Oh, I'm so happy now.
0: Let's- <laughs> yeah, I was going to
1: say. That, that, that. I, I would suggest that if you lived through the Second World War, you'd maybe argue with worst year in, in living memory. But um, <laughs> For us, mm. for us, certainly. I'm struggling to think of a worse
2: one. Ah, but you see, Nazis, uh, they were a different kind of language <laughs> to in this coronavirus stuff, you know. earlier this week. <laughs> yeah. You, you yeah. mean
1: they were, they were beatable? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: They, were, they were majority white.
2: Yeah, three star. yeah.
0: Which uh, appeases some uh, Aryan uh, brothers, I presume.
2: Let's <laughs> <laughs> probably not get down that route for the Proud Boys.
0: That's cool. <laughs> so, Phil... What's your impressions of of the the year that was 2020, or at least the first part? Christ,
1: um, it's yeah, it, it's strange, isn't it? Because everybody you speak to talks about what a dismal year it's been and if I detach myself from the football then I would pretty much agree, I mean we haven't been anywhere, we haven't done anything, we've cancelled loads of holidays, this is all really kind of superficial stuff because none of us have been ill but we had like two or three months of homeschooling which was just about bearable but pretty grim um, at at the same time but then alongside that, the the best year of football I've covered by a mile and, and that amazing moment in july which i thought was going to be i thought it was going to be ruined by the fact that there were no crowds of note um i thought it was going to be ruined by the fact that everything that would normally go with a promotion season and, and the moment of promotion or, or mm. winning the title was was pretty much wiped out um but in the end it it felt like a really special moment i think it was helped by the fact that you did get crowds on lowfields road and, and ellen road whether they, they should have been there or not and and it it felt as if everybody was able to plug into it and to feel it and, and everybody was able to to live that moment even though it wasn't as it should have been so it'll be funny when you look back at 2020 people will tell you that it was a it was a grim year and, and utterly miserable but actually because of the football i think for a lot of us it's been it's one been one of the best years you can remember in that sense yeah definitely
3: yeah, 2020 was the year that we were champions again. And yeah, it. if you
1: just remember it from that point of view, it's pretty good, not bad. We've had worse years as a lead fans. Many, <laughs> seen, many seen many of them. And that's the thing though, isn't it? You know, it's 16 years building up to that. So when it comes, regardless of what else is going on round about, you do switch off from it all and, and you do in, invest in, in what was a, a really, really great moment. You mentioned Hernandez at, at Swansea. I think that's probably the thing that will stick out in my head in twenty years' time. Really, was that goal going in? Because mm. I think you, you finally knew at that point that it was it was going to happen, or it was going to take the mother of all collapses um, to stop it. And and even Leeds didn't seem capable of the mother of all collapses at that point. You nearly <laughs> said nailed on there, Phil. Almost did. Almost. Yes. Over <laughs> the past three years, I've learned my lesson slowly with that one. <laughs>
3: Everything seemed to fall into place nicely. We, we got the wins we needed to, the own goal against Barnsley and then the, just that that sequence of results with West Brom beat, uh, losing to Huddersfield and then uh, Brentford bottling it to make us champions. That, that was like the perfect week.
1: It was. It's funny because it, it felt really on edge right up to the right up to the point at which they crossed the line and given mm. that they crossed the line on basically the last weekend of the season okay it was a Charlton game to come yeah. it's strange when you consider that and, and put it next to the table which shows that in the end they won it at a canter <laughs> you know like the, the gap was huge in the end and it and you know in, in years to come people who didn't follow it too closely will probably look at it and say well they were clearly the best team in the league and uh, which they were um, and it must have been straightforward but it, I, I mean it, part of the reason was because the games were congested so rather than yeah. the natural run of, of Saturday games towards the end of the season which may have given them a, a really relaxed fortnight it was all rammed into a small period of time um, but it, I think looking back now with the exception of the, the wobble down at Cardiff which I think everybody expected them to be on fire down there because of how hard Bales had been pushing them through the lockdown. I think we all expected it to click straight away and it was a bit flat and it was a bit rusty and the goals were a bit soft and and everything else. From that point on, and, and particularly the second half against Fulham, where it went from wondering if Fulham were going to nick that game and close the gap to actually pulling away. It was all pretty orderly and it was all pretty, pretty straightforward. And, you know, it was tense at Swansea and it was very tight towards the end and it was horrific against Barnsley. I mean, I I think, I think that's probably the one game so far where it was a, it was a good thing that the crowd weren't inside the ground because (laughs) people would would, would have found that absolutely awful. But, with the exception of little moments like that, it, it really was in hand. You know, it all felt actually pretty calm and, and pretty much pretty much in control. It was just the, the natural tension and anxiety of the fact that Leeds had blown very good positions in the past and, and there was still the potential for it to, to go wrong right at the last. But, you know, if you, I think from a neutral perspective, you'd probably felt from a, a fair distance out that Leeds, you know, had that under control.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. didn't feel like that. At any point, did it feel no. like
2: we had to get in control? Until Derby, <laughs> so, yeah.
3: really. That was it, wasn't it? Even then, I'm expecting some
2: sort of points deduction. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's always going to happen, isn't it?
1: Well, that was the dream scenario, though, wasn't it? Not only um, Huddersfield doing the, the trick for promotion on the Friday, but then Brentford um, losing it at Stoke and, yeah. and the title being wrapped up before Derby. So the fact that everybody was hideously hung over um, didn't matter, didn't matter at, at that point. Although it was weird, that Derby game, because I saw Cooper on Liam Cooper on the Monday and he, he hadn't played there, but he was saying the amazing thing about it was that the running stats for it were the best of the season, <sighs> even though it was a dead run r- rubber and, and everybody had had, you know, forty eight hours and I were a bit tired and emotional by that point. They were they were absolutely bang on it and, and outplayed Derby. So it, it kinda of summed up the, the way they've been going for most of the season, with the exception of that little spell over Christmas. That's it did puzzle, feel it?
2: over that weekend it did feel like we were just getting home from Ellen Road after after drinking numerous cans and then just looking at the T V it's like, oh something else has happened. We're champions now back out <laughs> again. Get me some but pyre then, <laughs>
1: Cooper said, "I'm I'm going back to see my wife and kids tonight, and I haven't seen them for you know five or six days because of everything that's been going <laughs> on, and and because the the games are congested, and the, you had all the COVID restrictions and and everything else. But I know exactly what you mean. You you did feel by the end of it like you you can." You know that it would have been, you know, an endless bender yeah, had um, the pubs absolutely. been open and and nothing been restricted. I think it would have gone on for weeks. Um, so perhaps it's better that it didn't, just for <laughs> the, the sake of the city. Well, I don't know the economy. There'd have been no need for eat out to help out. <laughs> I mean, no, it's true. It's true. Yeah, drink out to help yeah, out. Exactly. Just yeah. one massive like I'm,
0: yeah. I'm wondering about your experience um, behind the scenes. So when all of this was was going on. Um, with uh, with Victor and all, do you have any? Uh, did you know? At some point, did did Victor pour some champagne or, or you know what I mean? Like um, <laughs> get the guacamole, a handful of guacamole, and smear it smear it all over your head. Or, or, I, you mean, know what the, I mean,
1: yeah, the, the way he goes on in the director's box, you can imagine him throwing it at people. <laughs> but they did, um, they did come round on on the last day, the last game against Charlton with bottles of champagne for us, which was was very very nice. Um, but it. it it, you you suddenly you realise that point. I mean, you you knew it was going to mean a lot to people because people like Otter and Bielsa, obviously, but the players as well invest so much in in all of this, and I think it's easy to underestimate that because from the outside you look at football as a as a you know like a fabulous and sort of privileged career and you know the whole thing should be very enjoyable and it obviously can make you very wealthy but there's a lot riding on it and there's a lot of pressure involved and it and it matters to players to come out the other side of the career with something to show for it and i think particularly at Leeds where you've had a lot of people who've gone through the doors achieve next to nothing and, and have ultimately just been part of a, a story of decline and decay at a club who should be aspiring to so much better to, to actually do it and, and to be the people who've delivered it I think I think meant a huge amount and you could see that in Orta. Um you could see it in Bielsa in the end as well which I thought was really telling because he's he's emotional in in the sense that he he gets so involved in the games and it all matters to him and you can see how you know how, how serious he is how how deeply he thinks about it all but he isn't usually emotional in a conventional sense so touchy feely um and I, I don't think any of us were really sure how he would react when if and when they were promoted whether he would leave it to the players and kind of say, look, it's not really anything to do with me. This is down to the squad, or it's a, you know, there's a bigger picture here. I don't need, need to be central figure, but I think the club, and I think a lot of us as well, were really pleased that on the Friday night, he, he took himself down from Weatherby to Ellen Road and, and got involved in it all. And, and also just to see him, you know, at Derby and then again on the Wednesday night against Charlton with the trophy, you, you realize that it, it had properly touched him. And I think, you know, he, I can't speak for him, but I suspect that behind Newell's old boys, this will this will have been the, the year of his life in football. You know, I don't think there'll, there'll be anything other than what he did at Newell's to to compare with it. And I suspect that's part of the reason why this is actually becoming quite a, a long term thing by his standards. Certainly at mm. club level, you know, we're heading on to the towards the end of season three with him, and I, and more and more I start to wonder whether you know, the, the football has engaged him so much that, that he'll want to... It, because he is, you know, central to this project, whether he'll want to keep it going for, for that much longer. But I think he probably epitomised how much it mattered um and and how much everybody had put into this. And the fact that when it finally came, it was like this massive release, which even somebody like, like Bielsa, who, you know, who tries to be really discreet and tries to, you know, to be as kind of understated as possible, even he couldn't help himself.
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah my wife got so sick of me showing her the, the 30 second clips of my, this old man essentially <laughs> she was so people was it outside his house exactly. yeah. why are you showing me this old man shaking hands and giving sweets to kids but <laughs> yeah even she kind of she's a Chelsea fan so she's living the life of luxury but it's, like she could understand how much it meant and yeah, it must mean so much to him to the I didn't I didn't shed a tear at any of it until he lifted that trophy and he was just trying to slink off into the background because he didn't want it to be about him did he but this no, wouldn't have happened no, without all. him at all. I'm I'm wondering what it meant to
0: you, Phil, as a, you're a Hearts fan, right? Um, yeah, but you've been around the the block a few times. I asked uh, Brian and and we asked um, um, Adam Pope. When was it that you started supporting <laughs> Leeds?
1: It's a kind, of, it's a kind of natural development, and you don't, you don't have a, a crossover point. Um, and I never, I'd never call myself a fan. That we were tweet to say that because, you know, you, you grow up supporting one club, don't you? And, and you know who, who mine is. But you get a natural soft spot for them. And I think more than anything, there are a lot of clubs who don't achieve too much, and a lot of clubs have fan bases who stick with it regardless. But I think it leads. There was always that assumption, not just locally but amongst people who who didn't follow the club or, or had no time for the club particularly that, that they should that they were kind of down and and festering at a level that was that was just ridiculous if you had a setup at Leeds that was productive you know if you had ownership you could do what was possible to be done here if you had the right head coach and if you had players who under the right head coach were, were performing as they were and You know, I, I, over the years, I used to watch the crowds go in, particularly away from home. And Think to myself, I wonder what it is that keeps people going with this? Because there, there were long stretches where there was nothing to cling to, yeah. and there was no promise. I mean, even in the season before Bielsa, you know, the way it petered out on the Heckingbottom, you felt like you were back on the roundabout, and it was just, you know, it's carousel that keeps going round and round, and every time it stops, you, you're back in fifteenth place. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, you were you were saying there, you know, I, I think the phrase you used was living life of luxury with um, the Chelsea. I think it depends on you what you see as luxury depends on your perspective. I mean, I, I don't think if I was a Leeds fan, I'd particularly want to trade what Abramovich has been doing at Chelsea for what you've experienced under Bielsa yeah, for luxury. two two and a half years because it's been totally unique. Mm. And it's been it's been such an exceptional project which has worked. You know, a lot's gone into it. everything's been gambled on Bielsa and it and it's paid off. And it's paid off with, you know, one of the best teams that you've seen. In the championship, it's paid off with a team who somehow have gone into the Premier League and, and are mixing it as they are with play, a lot of players who've never played in that division before. And, and you've you've got him who just seems totally at home and settled at Thorpe Arch and Elland Road, and, and you know he lives in Weatherby. Doesn't spend a lot of time in the centre of Leeds, but it seems at home in the environment and with the the fan base here, he seems to understand them. They 100 percent understand him, um, and I just think that. I, I, There's been a lot of talk this season about some of the criticism he's had and everything else and and the definite feeling in some quarters that he's overrated or he's a a bit of a myth or that he's not as good as as people say he is. But I think if you've been close up to it, really close and you've seen what's gone on over the past two years and then again this little three, four month period in the Premier League you do appreciate how special it is and and you do appreciate that you've seen something that you're probably not going to see again in this exact form. You know, like this is a Hard club to get a grip of, as proven by the length of time that they were out of the the Premier League. And I mean, he he pretty much did it overnight. Mm.
3: Yeah, we spoke on my Man on the Post podcast the day that Uri Rosler was sacked and Steve Evans was appointed. And that for me is I I absolutely hated football and especially Leeds at that point. Like (laughs) I could not stand it. And Bielsa, not alone, but with Ravazzani and Orta, has absolutely rekindled my love for. The club more than the sport, I actually love this club now. The rest of the football I could care less about, but yeah. those three guys have done something incredible.
2: If you think about it though, you've got <clears throat> the the foundations of it with Radrazan in, Arthur and Angus. And then you've got Bielsa who comes in and turns, like Phil said, a squad that is finishing 15 in the Championship to essentially 15th in the Premier League with only a few additions. And that's mainly out of coaching. But I think it works quite well because... Porter is a massive football geek and he mm-hmm. kind of yeah. hero worships Bielsa. So he understands exactly what he needs. And I don't think Bielsa's had that at a club or a country before. So he's got a hierarchy above him that understands what he needs and gives him what he
1: wants. And that's, that's what's given the longevity. So I think... Chile was pretty close to that for him, certainly for a while, and, and News as well. But I mean you're right about Otter. If you go into his office at Ellen Road, he's got a coffee table that's covered in football magazines. He's been collecting them for years, and he's got he's got some from either Spain or Argentina where he's never missed a, a copy. He's got the full set of editions right from the start. But also the, the setup, I think, it, it changes the or it kind of alleviates some of the pressure that you normally have at a football club because you don't you don't sense that Bielsa is putting huge pressure on when it comes to transfers and, and he doesn't obsess with them in the way that I think some other managers do. And because yeah. of that, yeah. there isn't the strain on, there's a, you know, the, there is pressure on Arta to deliver, but I don't think there's the constant strain of, I need to get this player. I'm going to have be asked to get that player. You know, we don't really have the money for this, but this is who he wants, how yeah. are we going to do it? How yeah. are we going to fund it? But the, the byproduct of that as well is that, I don't think, even though they've invested, they obviously invested £100 million in the summer, they didn't spend £100 million there or then, but that ultimately would be the commitment if everything, you know, your clauses and add-ons and everything else were paid. It's not, you're hearing the narrative at the moment about Chelsea and Lampard, and and it's all coming down to the fact that he spent a lot of money over the summer. And the question is, Against that money, is he going to be able to deliver the performances in the league position to keep Abramovich happy? It doesn't feel like that at Leeds. You don't sense that they're saying, look, you spent £100 million, so you need to do X yeah. this season. Because actually, that was only four players who came in, one of whom, Laurentiis, has hardly hardly played. Um, and it is still, essentially, the squad that, that he came up with. So it's kind of different dynamic. And I think everybody thinks about it in a different and and slightly calmer way. And it, it, it feels... It feels like a, a not a free hit this season. It was never going to be like that. But you don't feel the same tension around individual games and results as you did in the championship where every win was crucial, every defeat was crucial, every poor run of form made you ask the question, is automatic promotion going? Is it going to be the playoffs? You know, it was that constant sleepless um, anxiety yeah. of, of is this going to work out? Whereas actually, you come into the Premier League and and you're able to enjoy it, and it's quite a weird sensation. I think yeah, that's been a bit up. of an
2: adjustment for Leeds fans: is that that we don't need to finish top two. I think yeah. when we've when we've started losing a couple of games, it's like oh no, we need to we need to do something that and panic, instead <laughs> <laughs> of so like the knee-jerk reaction stuff. It's like actually, anything above the bottom three
1: is fine. Yep. Mm. Let's just accept that, please. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I think it, I think as well because people think that they'll finish comfortably above the bottom three. You're left with a kind of ambiguous target, and yeah. you, you know if they finish tenth, great. If they finish thirteenth, it's not really any different. Yeah. it Doesn't particularly matter. You know, even if they finish fifteenth, but they're well clear of the bottom three, then it's a you know it's a steady and, and good season. It's all a, a bit more open. Yeah.
0: So there was a. Um, so we're still on part one here. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> There was a there was a stage where everything was shut down, wasn't it? And and, yes. and we were thinking that the season might be concluded on a um, a mathematical formula. And then there was Project Restart, and now you feel you're having to go through um checkpoints and um I presume you're getting uh something shoved up your nose or not. We not, don't, the, we... not the Chilino kind, but <laughs> the we,
1: we don't do um COVID tests, but we nope. get um we get gunned at every game. Yeah. So they'll they'll shoot you in the forehead and make sure that your temperature is okay and you fill in forms where they trust you not to lie about whether you've been in contact with anybody or whether you've got any symptoms or anything else. Um, so it's it's strict, but you're not massively restricted at the grounds compared to what you would normally do. You can't really use the press lounges as you would have done before and all the press conferences are done over Zoom, but you're still able to sit in the press boxes and you're still able to you know, to, to kind of crack on as you, you would have done before, but it is really odd being, you know, in, it, it's, it's starting to great being in empty stadiums. Now mm-hmm. to begin with, you're just happy that the football's going on. But I think when, um, uh, when Romain Sawyer scored that own goal at West Brom last night, there was this weird moment where nobody could quite, quite believe that he'd done it and and that the ball was in the net. And, and you, we kind of knew what the atmosphere would have been like if the place had been full it would have been really funny but as it was there's just this weird moment yeah. where everybody went back to halfway and then yeah. cracked on <laughs> again and it's you know there, there does come a point at which you remember that minus crowds that it's it's less of an event yeah. than it was before and, and i think everybody knew that from the start it's just that the longer it goes on the more tiresome it gets
2: mm. i mean can we before we move on can we just cover the fact that without that break we'd never been promoted <laughs> Just oh, just want yeah. Just make sure that we're we're talking about the right thing. But yeah, without that break,
1: we're gonna go on. Um, yeah, the, well, the I'm thing, sure. We'll get is, onto that.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah let's <laughs> uh, let's go that a little bit. little bit later down the line. Yeah. Later,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's one of those it's one of those weird things, isn't it? It's when uh, when he scores the own goal. I'm just laughing. I've got this belly laugh like it's a genuine it's something real. It's coming straight from my heart. Um, heartfelt. And and there are very few moments in football like that and you can only imagine what the crowds would have been like with the with the witty chants and and so on. So there's definitely something missing, isn't there Phil?
1: Uh, how just out of interest, how engaged would you say you're feeling in the games at the moment I'm sure you're enjoying them because Leeds in the main are, are playing well but given that you can't ever go and you're never there in the flesh and you're not drinking beforehand or afterwards and you're not in your usual seats with the the people you used to having around you like how, how engaged do you actually feel in this season it's about three or four times removed almost I'm mm-hmm. saying to these guys
2: like you, you plan your Saturday out on a match day you know what time you're setting off from your house you know, what you're going to be wearing, you know, do I need a scarf? Is it with that type of weather? You go through that ritual of, well, I've got the same ritual. I'll go to the co-op at the top of Beeston Hill, get a Costa, drink that on the way down, you know, meet everybody in the Foster's zone and then we'll have a chat and go in. I've got my ritual of going in the turnstile, going up the right set of stairs. I'm not a superstitious person, honestly. <laughs> um, but then that's all removed because... One, there's really weird kickoff times. Like yeah, waiting until five o'clock yeah. in the afternoon to to watch a game is strange because what do you do with yourself? You, you're trying to find an ounce of Leeds news in the in the cycle of of things that are going on. It's just the same rumours. Or somebody on Waco has said that Bamford stubbed his toe. He might not be in, and that just absolutely just um, spirals into paranoia. Yeah, and it just it just feels like you're watching like a, a simulation of a season, and you're not feeling that whole thing of being there, surrounded by yeah the community that you're always used to. It just feels a bit removed. It's great. You know, we're doing fantastic. I do worry that if we go, when fans get back, that Leeds will have a downturn in form. Because <laughs> no is it removing us that's been great? Has it been the COVID break? I, I, I don't know how conflicted I'd be with that. I'll, I'll stay away if it means we win. It's fine. <laughs> let's round,
0: round up this part one then. And let's just get everybody's kind of final thoughts on the end of that centenary promotion season maybe start with Russ
3: it was bloody fantastic I'm looking at the table now we won five games in a row that's all the table shows me no other team won more than three uh, in a row in those last five games so suddenly we were falling apart we uh, did all right didn't we 10 points 10 plus 10 goal difference over West Brom as well and yeah we just look at class above now as well the top two teams in that division last year played each other last night and one of them won five nil Pretty good.
2: Alex? Yeah, we're well, the champions. Fantastic. This virus will be gone by the time we kick off at Premier League. So we're all back in <laughs> stadium. Fantastic. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the spirit. Yeah. Well. I just it was just finished off in the way that you want a title winning side to finish it off. Um but the the football, it wasn't incidental, but the the magic came round about it, you know, with the exception of like Hernandez's goal down at Swansea, it was the, it was that buzz on the Friday night when Huddersfield scored and suddenly you'd realize this is, this is actually it. Um, And then, you know, the, the, I've never ever covered the game as as relaxed as Derby away because everything was wrapped up. And normally in seasons where you have dead rubbers, the dead rubbers because the, the season's been a waste of time um, or it's, it's fallen short at the end. And that inevitably means that you're talking about which players need to go. Is the head coach sticking around? You know, it's all that the kind of negative stuff that comes up, but it was just, it, it, well, everybody was, they weren't on some just because he played really well, but it was that kind of atmosphere. And, and I like say, even the, um, even the uh, the you know the, the night when they lifted the trophy no fans in the ground but there were loads outside and and i thought you know the second season of the um, the amazon documentary um it was it was fairly short it was fairly superficial for obvious reasons and and i didn't think sort of journalistically it was a, a an amazing um amazing content but i did think the last few minutes you know the, the that that point at which Bales is talking and the the um the cameras flying over the crowd outside eleanor was absolutely magical it was and it just it just captured I think what what that night really meant
0: okay fantastic um so that's the end of part one most of our stats come from LUFC stats or LUFC data on twitter you should probably give them a follow as they're more interesting than us a very special thanks to Adam Warner Barney Stewart Cookie Ewan and Howard Metcalf Josh Pearson Laura Leon and Rob Light Show, and all our family and friends
1: Care what's on your mind